let's pray as we come to consider this passage together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are powerful and wise and good. And that no matter what uh, is happening in our lives, that we can trust in you. Father, we pray that you'd be with us this morning as, as we uh, consider this important and difficult topic of, of suffering. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to uh, know how to respond to it rightly in a way that is pleasing to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our topic this morning is one of the most important, emotive, and difficult topics we could discuss. It's a topic that many of us know too, all too personally, a topic that raises deep questions in our mind uh, about the very nature and existence of God, actually. Uh, it's a topic of, of suffering. Now, just la last week, isn't it, we witnessed the, the devastating floods uh, up in Penang. That was in Georgetown in the main streets. Uh, seven people died. Over 4,000 people were evacuated. Homes and churches and other businesses were either destroyed or affected. Uh, it was really a, a very horrible disaster, and I know many of us here actually know people who were affected by it. But we witness these disasters all the time, don't we? Uh, this year, Hurricane Irma in the U.S., uh, the earthquake in Mexico, landslides in Colombia that killed many people, monsoonal flooding in Bangladesh, maybe didn't get the news, but many hundreds died and there's many more as well. Perhaps many of us can still recall the devastating tsunami of uh, 2004 that swept through this part of the world and killed over 200,000 people. Well, other of us, others of us this morning will bring to mind man-made disasters, if you like. The, the refugee crisis uh, caused by ISIS in Syria and Iraq, uh, or the ethnic cleansing that's happening at the moment of the Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar, or maybe we've just seen the mass shootings on the news in Texas, in Las Vegas, maybe we just remember 9-11. But much of our experience of, of suffering is not just that, that suffering out there. Of course, that's on the news all the time, but we can desensitize to that. It's the suffering that we feel personally in our own lives, uh, the feelings of uh, depression, the cancer diagnosis, the car crash, the relationship breakup, or even as bad as abuse. And so almost inevitably, I think that the question comes to us, why? God, if you are so good and loving and wise, why did you let this thing happen? Why did it happen to me? Why don't you do something about the pain and the suffering around us that we feel every day? Well, the Bible has much to say uh, in answer to that question. It is one of the big questions of, of the Bible, actually. And we get part of an answer to that question this morning. It's, it's not a full answer, and it's, it's impossible to give uh, an, a really an adequate answer in the time we have uh, this morning. But I'm, I'm well aware that this morning that there will be many among us who are actually, uh, for whom suffering is a painful reality right now, uh, whether or not others around know it. 
And I know that this morning what you need is not a, a theological explanation on the topic of, of suffering, perhaps another time. What you need is love and care and support and prayers. And so before we even get to this uh, passage this morning, uh, I want us to just remember for a moment the God who speaks these words to us. Uh, he is the God who uh, we read a few uh, in the previous chapter, who's counted even the hairs of our head. He knows the sufferings that we're going through. He is not indifferent to them. He knows them like no one else ever could. He's the God who has promised that he would never leave us or forsake us, no matter what happens. He is the God who, who entered into this world, suffered himself in the person of Jesus, so that he could suffer in our place and free us from suffering. He is the God who gives us hope in the face of suffering. He is the God who promises that one day he himself will wipe every tear from our eyes when he brings us to a glorious new creation where sin and suffering and death are no more. Now, the God that is speaking to us here this morning in his word is the God who is good, who is loving, who is wise, who has done something about suffering at the cross and will do something about suffering permanently when he returns. Now, it is the return of Jesus and the final judgment that has been the, top, the, the topic of this whole section of Luke's Gospel since chapter 12. Uh, Jesus himself has been uh, describing himself as the glorious Son of Man. He is the, uh, the one to whom all dominion and power and authority will be given. He will rule over all nations and peoples and languages uh, forever. And Jesus has been preparing his people for the day of his return, the day when every person, you and me included, will stand before his judgment throne and give an account of the lives that we have lived. And just before this passage, at the end of chapter 12, he ended with an exhortation there. Uh, we have to understand the times in which we live. Just, uh, just as we can uh, watch the weather report, we can kind of know uh, whether it will rain tomorrow or not. Jesus says, look, understand the times, understand the present times, that Jesus may return at any moment. And in light of that, our most urgent need is to be reconciled to God, to be in right relationship with him, before that day arrives. And so with, uh, with those things in mind, let us turn then to Luke 13 and uh, point one this morning, God's rousing warning. Uh, there are, I think, these two main causes of suffering in the world. There is suffering that is directly caused by human wickedness, and actually that is much of the suffering that we face in this world. Even uh, what we would sometimes call natural disasters is even caused by human actions. Uh, but there is also the, 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 the so-called natural disasters, isn't it? I think the insurance agents get these right. They are acts of God. And Jesus is presented with both of these types of suffering in verses 1 to 5. Have a look at verse 1. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, we're not told why these people tell Jesus about this incident. Uh, perhaps uh, Jesus has been speaking of, of judgment in the previous verses. Uh, and in Jesus' time, as in today, people often uh, have a, make a link between judgment and suffering. 
uh, and so they bring up this case. It was an awful act of evil. Uh, it's not so unlike the, uh, the, the shooting that we saw in, in the church in Texas recently. Here are people coming to worship God and serve him. And as they are, they are slaughtered. How are we to respond to such a tragedy as that? Well, in verse 4, uh, Jesus draws attention to another tragedy, uh, a so-called natural disaster, uh, a tower collapse, some bad engineering perhaps, and 18 people killed. Now, presented with these tragedies, which are tragedies, aren't they? These are terrible, terrible things. Now, Jesus' response is at first sight rather shocking. I think we're expecting him to show some sympathy and concern, uh, perhaps to pray for the family members of those uh, affected, perhaps uh, to weep for the victims who have died. Uh, and elsewhere, Jesus certainly does that. Uh, faced with the, the death of his dear friend Lazarus uh, and seeing his grieving friends, Jesus himself weeps as he sees it. Uh, throughout Luke's Gospel, if you've been following through, then as Jesus is faced with the sick and the poor and the needy, Jesus' immediate response again and again is compassion and love and mercy, healing the sick, raising the dead, and so on. Jesus is definitely not indifferent to human suffering. He has witnessed more suffering and indeed experienced more suffering than any of us probably ever will. But this occasion is different. Jesus is not speaking here to the victims of, of suffering. Here Jesus is being asked the theoretical question, why? And so Jesus responds. Now the first thing Jesus wants us to understand here is that, that uh, suffering uh, is not automatically related to sin. Suffering is not automatically related uh, to sin. Uh, many people in the ancient world, and certainly even today, believe that a person's suffer, uh, suffering is proportionate to their sin. And so the more you sin, the more you, you suffer. Uh, so with Hinduism, uh, according to, to karma, uh, all suffering is basically explained as repayment uh, for what you have done. Maybe in this life, maybe in a previous life. Uh, and so when you find someone suffering, maybe they've got a disability, maybe they've had a car crash, maybe they've, whatever has happened to that person, uh, Hinduism says, look, you deserve it. You've done something wrong and now you're getting uh, what you deserve. It's actually quite a harsh and awful belief, really, isn't it? But that is not how Jesus understands suffering. Have a look at verse 2. Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Gal Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. Come down to verse 4. Those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. Now, Jesus completely denies that there is always a direct, automatic connection between suffering uh, and specific sin. Now, of course, sometimes there is going to be a connection, right? If you, if you smoke all of your life, you will most likely get lung cancer. If you drink drive, it's quite possible you will have a car crash. If you commit sexual immorality, it's more than likely that you will destroy your marriage, and so on. 
Uh, and so in 1 Corinthians uh, 9, when Paul is talking about the Lord's Supper, he, he, he draws this connection between suffering uh, and sin. He, uh, Paul writes, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks with discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some of you have died. So sometimes there can be a connection between suffering and sin, but much of the time we cannot and we should not seek to draw such a connection. And so on another occasion, John chapter 9, Jesus meets a man who was born blind and the disciples come and ask him, look, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You're thinking, this guy's blind, someone must have sinned along the way. Who was it, Jesus? Jesus says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. And as we we, we search elsewhere in the Bible, we find the same thing. In the Old Testament, Joseph, righteous Joseph, suffered again and again and again. Uh, Job, blameless before God, and yet suffered terribly. And of course, Jesus himself in the New Testament, Jesus is sinless, and yet he goes to the cross. And so the presence of suffering in my life doesn't automatically mean that there is some uh, specific sin. And, uh, and so were the, the, the uh, flood victims in Penang kind of, they were worse people than other people in Malaysia? No, of course not. Were the victims of Hurricane Irma in the US, you know, were they more evil? Were they like uh, more evil than other, other Americans, maybe those living in Hawaii or something? Definitely not. And so if I'm suffering, whilst it is wise to reflect on my life and think, is there some sin in my life that I need to repent of? That is wise. But we cannot always draw a connection and we should not seek to do so. Now, that is not to say, however, that suffering and sin and judgment are unrelated from each other either. And so Jesus goes on to explain, secondly, that suffering shows our world is not as it should be. Suffering shows that our world is not as it should be. Come again to verse 2. He answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or down again in verse 5. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, after the tsunami in 2004, uh, one of the things that they did was to install these uh, early warning systems uh, in the Indian Ocean. So on, on the chance that another such tsunami uh, might come again, uh, at least there might be some warning and people can flee from the beaches and, and there might not be so many people who perish. Uh, and, and so Jesus is explaining uh, here that the very existence of, of suffering in the world, if you like, is like an early warning system for us. It is God's deliberate and rousing warning to remind us and wake us up that our world is not all that it should be. As we go back to the beginning of the Bible, to, to Genesis 1 and 2, we remember that the God who created the world created a world that was very good. 
a world without sickness, a world without pain, without evil, without death, a, a world where humanity lived in perfect relationship with God and with one another and with the created world. It's in Genesis 3 that the Bible explains the origins and the cause of suffering. As the first human beings, Adam and Eve, reject uh, God as the rightful ruler of their life uh, and seek to uh, be like God themselves as they establish themselves as the rulers and the lawmakers uh, on this world. And in Genesis 3, uh, in response to human rebellion, God comes in judgment. Pain enters our relationships. The world that we inhabit is cursed. Humanity is cast from the presence of God and the paradise of Eden. And we are thrust into a world plagued by death. And, and, and this actually does explain, isn't it, uh, our experience of suffering uh, in this world. It explains why the world we live in is, on the one hand, so good and so beautiful and so wonderful to explore, and yet at the same time, it, it just doesn't seem right. It explains our experience of suffering, that suffering somehow seems unnatural. Uh, it shouldn't be this way. Death shouldn't be this way. Uh, it's not like Buddhism says, where, where suffering is just an illusion. Uh, and if I just didn't care about things, then I wouldn't feel suffering anymore. That is not the Bible's view. Suffering is not good. But more than that, Jesus wants us to understand that, that suffering is the deliberate action of God to remind us that he is God and we are not God. And the world in which we live is one that stands under the judgment of God because of our rebellion against him. And so all of the earthquakes and the tsunamis and the wildfires and the droughts and the mass shootings and the coups and whatever other suffering that we experience in our life, the cancer, the car crashes, the crane collapses and, uh, and whatever else, these are the deliberate and gracious warning of God that this world is not as it should be. This world is under his judgment and it is headed to ultimate judgment when Jesus returns and the world as we know it is destroyed. Now, Jesus has said earlier in the previous chapter that on that day, all who have rejected the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross face uh, an eternal conscious torment away from God and his blessings in what we call hell. And so as tragic and awful and terrible and evil as suffering is, we recognize in the suffering that we feel a a glimpse, a foretaste, a uh, foreshadowing, if you like, of the much greater judgment that is to come on this world in which we live. And that is why Jesus says here, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. It is true, isn't it, that it's, it's often only in the midst of, of suffering that we consider the big questions in life. What is life about? Uh, when death comes unexpectedly and life is cut all too short, 
It's then we're forced to consider our lives before God and, and what comes after uh, all of that. And Jesus shows us here that, that sometimes when we, we consider those terrible tragedies, we often ask the wrong questions. And we usually ask the question, why? How could God have allowed this to happen to such good and innocent people? And yet Jesus is telling us here the question that we should be asking as we see such suffering is, why did it not happen to me? Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. See, Jesus' basic assumption here is that, that all people are sinful. That, that the victims of, of, of natural disasters, at, as terrible as they may be, and not to say that they're related to some specific sin or, or anything like that, but Jesus is saying here, all of us are sinners. There's no one who is in the end innocent and doesn't deserve judgment. So Jesus is saying, look, in the end, whatever people suffer, they're actually exactly like you. And so it could have been you, if not for the grace of God. Now we're used to be to thinking of humanity as fundamentally good, aren't we? Uh, and so any kind of suffering calls into question the justice of God. But actually in reality, Jesus is reminding us the opposite is true. Humanity is fundamentally sinful. And every additional day that we are given in this world is a gift of God by his grace. And so as we, we turn on the news and we, we witness the next atrocity, the next disaster, then we should pray, Lord, have mercy upon me. Because it could have been me. Could have been here, if not for the grace of God. As we witness suffering, Jesus tells us here that, that the right response, or at least part of it, is to repent, to turn back to God, to confess our sins, to make sure that we are in a right relationship with him. Now, this uh, repentance, repentance is a, is a turnaround. It's a, it's a change of mind that leads uh, to a change uh, of, of action. Uh, to repent means that, uh, that I recognize that God is the rightful ruler of my life, that he does deserve the praise and honor uh, from me, and that I need to give up my rebellion, and I need to submit to him and live for his glory and his honor alone. Uh, repentance is, is not something that I do only when I become a Christian. Uh, the whole Christian life is to be one of, of repentance. Again and again, turning away from sin in our lives and turning towards God and seeking to live the way uh, that he wants. Uh, and the Bible promises us that it's only as we repent and turn to Jesus as our Lord and Savior that he forgives us of our sins and gives us a place uh, in his kingdom. Uh, we'll see a wonderful picture of that just a couple of chapters later. Uh, in chapter 15, you might remember the story of the prodigal son who rejects his father and goes off living in immorality in a country far away. And then he comes to his senses, he, he repents, he returns to his father. And there is his father with open arms, welcoming his son back and putting on a wonderful banquet. And, 
And, and, and Jesus tells this story as a wonderful picture of what God is like. We are those who have, who have gone away from him, who have taken his blessings for granted, who deserve his judgment, and yet as we repent and come back to him, there is God with open arms, welcoming us back and inviting us to his, his banquet table in heaven, that, that place where there will be no more sin, no more suffering, and no more pain. Now, we may well ask, well, if, if God does intend to, to end suffering, to deal with suffering, then why doesn't he do it now? I mean, why doesn't Jesus just come back now and finish the world? I mean, the, the world's obviously a mess. Jesus, just hurry up and come back. We might pray that from time to time. Come, Lord Jesus. Well, Jesus answers that in the, in the second point. God's gracious waiting. And in verses 6 to 9, he tells us this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and, and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Now, we should remember here that in the, the Old Testament, the, 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 the fig tree and the, the image of the, of the vine and the, and the vineyard is a metaphor for God's people Israel. They were described as such in Isaiah chapter 5, our Old Testament reading. God saved his people from Egypt. He planted them in the promised land. He expected them to bear the fruit of obedience in their lives. Uh, but, but Israel did not. And, and even at the time of Jesus, as Jesus comes, calling his people back to repentance, still he did not find it. And so Jesus warns in this parable of that impending judgment that is coming, that if they do not bear the fruits of repentance in their lives, the tree will be cut down. Israel's already in overtime, if you like, extra time. This is the last chance to score the goal of repentance. Now, of course, Jesus intends the parable to have a wider application to all of us, because when Jesus returns to judge, he will be the judge of all people, not just the Israelites. And the only way we will escape as well is if we repent. And so the point is that time is short. Extra time has begun. Now is the time to repent. Now I think there are two lessons really that we are to learn from this parable. Firstly, uh, the reason for God's gracious delay is that he is giving us time to repent. Uh, the Bible repeatedly affirms that, that God doesn't desire anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so we could, we could turn to Ezekiel chapter 18. We read these words. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, every one of you according to his ways, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord. So turn and live. God, please with his people, return to me, repent. I will forgive. 
2 Peter chapter 3, the same thing we see again. Uh, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise that Jesus will return, as some count slowness. He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. So why, why the delay? Why not just Jesus come back now, end the suffering, deal with this world, judge evil and wickedness once and for all? Well, it's because if he, if he did that, he would have to, to judge all wickedness, isn't it? To deal with all suffering. And, and if he was to do that, then, then many people in this world, perhaps even us this morning, would be in a desperate situation. Because how could we stand before the judge of all the world? without our sins forgiven. And so why the delay? Why the wait? Why does God allow the suffering to go on and on? It's so that the warning can be sounded again and again, so that more and more people might heed the warning and repent and be saved. God is giving time to, to you to your friends, your family, your colleagues, your classmates, giving time to repent before it's too late. Because there will come a time when it is, is too late. Actually, we see God's very generous here, isn't it? Three years, no fruit, still will wait for another year. I guarantee in any business that has uh, no profit for three years, it will be gone, right? They won't wait for year number four, right? God is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. But we must not be complacent. His judgment will fall. Extra time can't last forever. Full time has to come. The plant that fails to bear the fruit of repentance will be ripped up from the roots and cut down. As we see even in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. The end will come. Judgment day will arrive, and our works will be seen for what they are. And on that day, any who have not yet repented and turn to Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, will face him as he comes to judge. So the message is a very serious one for us this morning, isn't it? We need to repent. We need to turn to Jesus as the Lord and Saviour of our life. We need to receive his offer of forgiveness that he longs to give us so that we may receive our place in his heavenly kingdom. Now, just very briefly, because it's actually next week's passage, uh, Luke wants us to see the, the solution to suffering. Uh, the solution to suffering is found uh, in God's suffering saviour, who is Jesus himself. Uh, just look down the very next passage. We meet a woman who has been disabled for 18 years. Verse 10, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. There was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully 
straighten herself. Jesus looks at this woman who has been in suffering for most of her life. And look what he says in verse 12. Woman, you are freed from your disability. And immediately she is healed. Luke tells us this, this all happens on the Sabbath day, which was the day given to Israel to remember the salvation he had given them and to look forward for the new creation that he was bringing. And so as Jesus heals this woman on the Sabbath, Jesus is foreshadowing for us the day when all sickness and all suffering and all death will be swallowed up forever as he establishes this perfect new creation where all of, the, all of these terrible tragedies in our world will be no more. And the rest of the, the gospel records uh, for us that Jesus secures this, this path to the new creation through his own suffering and his own death uh, on the cross. A few chapters earlier, chapter 9, Jesus summarizes his mission like this. Chapter 9, verse 22. The Son of Man... Uh, he strictly charged them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And as, as Jesus speaks these words, he's, he's deliberately calling to mind uh, a very important prophecy from the Old Testament of a suffering Savior who would come to save his people. You might remember Isaiah 53. Uh, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus understands our suffering. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed, or we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Gospels tell us the, the wonderful story of how in his love Jesus leaves the paradise of heaven and he enters into this broken and suffering world and he comes to suffer himself on the cross bearing our sins in our place. He takes upon himself the judgment that we deserve and so Jesus perishes so that we do not have to, so that we can instead look forward to joining him in that paradise of the new creation where sin and sickness are no more. Remember what he says to the thief as he dies next to Jesus on the cross. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so if you're here this morning and you are in the midst of suffering, yes, it is a rousing warning to turn to Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Yes, it is a, a reminder that God is graciously delaying final judgment so that you and many more can repent and be saved. But don't stop there. 
as you consider your suffering, go to the cross. Behold the suffering Saviour who understands your suffering because he suffered in your place. Behold the suffering Saviour who took your punishment in your place so that you might not have to perish. Behold the suffering Saviour who died and rose that we may one day be with him in paradise. As we consider those things, no matter what suffering we face, no matter how tragic, no matter how overwhelming, no matter how horrific, and it really is, there is always hope. There is always joy because we believe in the Saviour who not only died, but rose again. We know that this world is not all there is. There is a new creation to come. And so we can continue to persevere, no matter how difficult it seems. As we seek first his kingdom, we seek after every moment he's given us to share this good news with others. Because we know, isn't it, we, we do not know how much time is left for our family or our friends or our colleagues or our classmates. We don't know what tomorrow could bring. And so we, we remain and we persevere because we want them too to know this wonderful news. And it may be this morning that there are some here who who have not yet trusted in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. You know you haven't repented yet and turned to Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Can I urge you this morning, turn to Jesus. Maybe we think, look, there's still plenty of time. I can, I can do it later on when things is not like they are now. But the thing is, you do not know, is it? when disaster will strike. The 18 didn't know the tower would collapse. And when those people went to offer their sacrifice, I'm sure they didn't expect Pilate to send the soldiers. This really is urgent. Do not delay. Turn to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Receive his gift of forgiveness. And you will also find the most wonderful hope that will sustain you through the deepest of troubles until he brings us to his heavenly kingdom. Turn to him and share this good news with others. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you understand our lives and our sufferings like no one else ever could. We thank you that you entered this world in the person of your Son, that he suffered in our place, 
so that we could one day be set free from suffering and be with you in your new creation. Father, we lift before you this morning any who are, who are going through difficult times. Father, would you comfort them, bless them, strengthen them, give them your peace. We pray for those that we know that may have been affected by, perhaps by the floods in Penang, or other disasters or other tragedies. Father, we commit those people into your hands as well. We pray that you would help us as we grieve. We pray that you would comfort us in the midst of our sorrows. And Father, we, we thank you for this reminder this morning that, that all suffering is in the end your gracious warning to us, that this world is not as it should be. And so we do pray uh, this morning, if there are any among us who have not yet trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, that you would bring them to repentance. We pray that they too may have this hope that only Jesus can bring. And Father, we pray as we approach the Christmas period and many opportunities to share the good news with others, we pray that you would help us to be urgent as we invite people to hear the good news because we know that we do not know the future and how much time is left. Give us courage, we pray. Give us urgency and give us love that we may share this good news with others. And we pray that as a community that you would help us to love one another deeply as Jesus has loved us. And we pray that you would sustain us in hope until he returns and brings us into your wonderful new creation where we will see you face to face and all the sufferings of this world will be no more. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.